0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Welcome to Fantastic Glorious Episode 76 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we discuss all things Apple, iPhone, iPad, iPod, iPod, Apple TV, watch-related. Joining me, V. Marks, today is Neil Hughes, Managing Editor of Apple Insider. How's it going? Brilliant.
0: I'm very excited to talk about the iPod.
1: I know. Can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> the, the truth is, I've been on a cleaning kick the past week or so, and I've been going through all of my computer history stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found a ton of iPod-related accessories and, and iPod packaging from the original one, the original 5 gig, the original 20 gig. And so, forgive me if I, you know,
0: go back in time and talk That's about it. That's fair. IPod. I still have my 160 gig iPod Classic. Um, I never had the 160 gig classic. I have a huge collection of music and I filled up my 160 gig immediately. So I'm one of those people where if Apple releases a 256 gig iPhone this year, which some of the rumors claim that they might, right, so. um, I would be all over that. But then again, I'm also an insane person that if they made an iPhone the size of an iPod Nano, I would be all about that too. So
1: Yeah, well, I sent you a, a cover of Business Insider from – Oh, when was that from? That was from a long time ago. Um, did you see that that picture I sent you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was Business 2.0 from oh, Wow, how long ago was that? Uh it doesn't even have the date on the cover. But it's a picture of what looks like an iPod mini hybridized with a telephone and it's got a picture of an incoming call from steve jobs on the cover with an ipod eq screen below that right that was what a lot of out, a slide out touch tone dial pad
0: a lot of people thought that the the so-called iphone before it was announced uh was going to be an ipod with Slide out numbers, you know, something like a Motorola Razr or something, and uh, it was such a common rumor and expectation that uh, at the MacWorld presentation in 2007, when Steve Jobs unveiled the first iPhone, they actually made a joke about it. Like, how would you imagine right, us the, doing? They a phone? had
1: the the rotary dial on an iPod. <laughs> was pretty done.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was so funny just looking back the fact that everyone was so clueless about what was coming out.
1: Yeah, and and this was this cover image was designed by quote the award-winning designers at Pentagram, unquote. So so even people who have talent and vision n- don't always share the same vision.
0: <laughs> well, and, and and it's if you look back, too, at how caught off guard everyone was by the iPhone design, then that has kind of fueled, to this day, these uh, kind of fanciful predictions of what Apple's going to make. Like, uh, the best example, I think, was in 2010 when the iPad was announced. Um, everybody's expectation was way beyond what the iPad actually was which it ended up being you know basically the same technology as the iPhone just with a bigger screen which is why the initial reaction to the iPad was extremely negative It was oh it's just a big iPod touch because I think people were expecting the I- iPad to be something like the iPhone where it wasn't what they were expecting it kind of blew them away
1: well and and people were rejected a lot of things including the name iPad. Yeah. Originally, the name iPad was really a negative, got a negative reception.
0: Yeah, it was. I think people just, uh, and even to this day, when new iPhones are announced or even the Apple Watch, um, there's just this like expectation that Apple's going to completely blow you away and introduce something that nobody's ever seen before. But really, with the exception of the iPhone, Apple hasn't really done that with their products they tend to be more iterative uh building on what's come before um solid adding great new features ease of use that's the kind of stuff that they tend to focus on
1: so right so right so i want to start i'm going to disrupt your train of thought there for a moment i want to tell our listeners that grove made an accessory maker is partnering with Apple Insider to give readers a chance to win a bundle of handcrafted accessories consisting of a laptop stand, monitor stand, keyboard tray, mouse pad, and iPhone folio. And the value of all of these goods is five hundred and eighty five US dollars. Now Grovemade makes beautiful things, right? They're they're gorgeous accessories. They're handcrafted in Portland, Oregon, and they're made out of walnut and or, or maple. You get to choose. The winner chooses between walnut and maple to coincide with your personal decor. Walnut is a darker colored wood, um, more chocolatey in tone. Maple tends to be a lighter color wood. Um, maple is a hardwood with a closed grain. Walnut can have kind of an open grain to it. But it's, it's both beautiful materials. And so... Go to our website, appleinsider.com. We have a giveaway there. I, I will put the link in the show notes. And you can enter using your email or Facebook login to win the giveaway. The giveaway ends on July 11th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. Winner announced on July 12th. So please come back and check to see if you've won. So they issued new betas of both betas for the current line stuff, right? 933, OS 10.11, or El Capitan, and tvOS, but they're also issuing betas on the forthcoming releases, iOS 10 and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, right? Apple has some minor point zero one releases coming out um, that are going to be just minor bug fixes, no real features added. Uh, presumably, considering the frequency with when, with, with, those have been launched in the last couple of weeks, uh, we will see those released to the public soon. iOS 9.3.3, uh, TV OS 9.2.2, and OS 10.11.6. Um, but the real betas that everyone wants to talk about and should want to talk about are beta 2 of iOS 10, of watch OS 3, um, And uh, we also have new macOS Sierra and tvOS 10 betas out. Um, Not really a lot in the way of new features. A lot of bugs fixed. Um, A lot of issues have been squashed. Um, And so, yeah, I I installed them when they came out on Tuesday and pretty happy so far. Um, A lot smoother, dealing with a lot less crashes. It's still crashing a lot. And let's be clear, nobody should be running this unless... They're crazy like me and have to do this for a living or they're testing out for uh, uh, application development, for example. But I mean, literally, as we were starting this podcast, I grabbed my iPad Pro and tried to unlock it and it crashed and had to reboot. So, I mean, this is just the way it is. It happens and don't run beta software. Having said that, Uh, Big improvement. Uh, Things are running a lot better. There's a lot of uh, little tweaks throughout the system. They changed some icons, renamed some things, you know, different colors here and there. All in all, relatively minor cosmetic stuff. Wait, Uh, wait, wait. What about 3D Touch, though?
1: What about it? Well, I mean, one of the big things that I remember from the keynote announcing iOS 10 was that there was going to be a greater emphasis on the utility of 3D Touch and and that you know you could do a whole lot more without ever actually having to launch the well, app necessarily. Yeah,
0: I'm talking about changes from beta 1 to beta 2. I'm oh, not talking okay. about iOS 9 to iOS 10. We already talked about iOS right, 10 last right. week. Well, don't beat me up too much. <laughs> well, uh, I just
1: the, wanted in, to know if you were using that and you know, how you found it.
0: I, yes, we talked about it last week. There's a lot of uh, uh, 3D touch features built into iOS 10. Uh, for example, uh, 3D touch on certain built-in apps now not only pulls up shortcuts, but it pulls up the widget that you can add to the lock screen as well. Um, and it's a quick way to add a widget. Um, you can do things like in Control Center. You can 3D touch on the flashlight to change the uh, intensity of the light. You can 3D touch on the quick access to the timer to quick set a time. Um, uh, there's all little features like that. If you go to the, uh, home kit accessories screen in the expanded control center and 3d touch on a light bulb, it will pull up a slider that lets you set the percentage for the light and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of great changes in iOS 10, but in terms of beta one to beta two, um, not a lot of big changes. Uh, one, uh, that may not apply to most listeners, but does apply to me I'm not an Apple Music subscriber. I prefer to just own my music as opposed to renting it for $10 a month. So in Beta 1, if you turned off Apple Music, it still showed it in the Music app and, and uh, uh, was kind of in your face. Um, and it was not possible to turn it off. Beta 2 fixes that. Now when you turn it off, the only tabs you get are library, radio, and search. Um, so that's a big improvement for me as somebody who uses the Music app a lot.
1: Very cool. It's It's less pushy about asking you to subscribe, for example.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you have Apple Music on, um, it has the For You tab and it has a, you know, what's trending or whatever tab to show you stuff that's popular right now. But that only is applicable to you if you're an Apple Music subscriber looking for new content. Otherwise, if you're buying music, you need to go to the iTunes store. So um, for me, you know, I get a lot of my music from other sources uh, and prefer to own it rather than renting it. Therefore... I don't really need that stuff, so I go into the settings, um, which this is a good tip for anybody who doesn't know it. If you don't use Apple Music and you don't like all the stuff that they have in your face, uh, this applies in iOS 9 as well as in iOS 10. Open the settings app and then choose music, and then there's a little switch there to turn off Apple Music, and then it will hide all those things that uh, you don't really want to use. And I should add that I uh, uh, mentioned last week that uh, my iOS 10 uh, ios 10 install fix the copy paste issues that i had had for years before that um just s- to uh, verify that i am not crazy and i am alone uh, uh reader or listener um by the name of melanie who has been a long time uh, apple insert podcast listener uh you can find her on twitter at e i s l z Uh, She tweeted at me today and let me know that she also had copy-paste issues that have been fixed by the iOS 10 beta. So uh, if you're running into those problems, it sounds like Apple may have finally squashed a bug that's been there for three years, I guess. And you are not alone, Neil. I I feel vindicated. Thank you, Melanie.
1: (laughs) It's the little things. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was a little excited to see in iOS 10 is that iOS 10 now makes it easy for iPhone users to register as an organ donor.
0: Yeah, this is a cool feature that they just added with Beta 2 this week and will be in the public release this fall. So basically you just open up the health app that's built into iOS, um, and now when you go to the medical ID tab – There's a new link for organ donation. So previously, you could put on your medical ID whether or not you were an organ donor, but maybe you're not registered through a program uh, to donate your organs if you were to unfortunately pass away. So they have a link there uh, to get more information and then to actually directly sign up with the program called Donate Life America. Um, And there you have to enter a series of personal information so that they can identify you. Um, And then you can have it officially saved that not only on your medical ID are you an organ donor, but you have been registered with an official organization. This is obviously an issue near and dear to Apple's heart. Um, Late uh, company co-founder Steve Jobs um, lived another three, four years because of a liver transplant um, and when he came back to work at Apple, <clears throat> he had done a presentation and um, went on stage and said that it was uh, because of uh, someone who was registered as an organ donor that he was able to be there that day. It was actually somebody in their mid-20s who had died in a car accident and who was a registered organ donor. And as a result, uh, Steve got uh, liver, and that allowed him to live for a few more years. So um, obviously a, a cause uh, that's very important to people at Apple and, and people should consider signing up for. Definitely. Let's
1: talk about iPhone 7, or the, the rumored iPhone 7, as it were. So, first of all, y- you tend to buy phones because you're, you're a music fan, right? You You own your music. You buy phones with the largest amount of storage possible, don't you?
0: Yeah, like if I go on a flight, um, I mean, it's getting better now that I can actually get Wi-Fi on flights and stuff like that. But if I go on a flight, I like to have as much of my music library available as possible, if not the whole thing, because I never really know what I'm going to listen to. I'm not really the type of guy who listens to the same album over and over and over. Um, So, yeah, I like having a lot of capacity on my phone. That's important to me.
1: My my sense, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but my sense of it was that with, with Apple's plans for iCloud, that using iCloud Drive and and taking advantage of of Apple's online cloud services would mean that you could have a a smaller capacity phone and have it more stored in the cloud and pull things down when you need them. And that 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 would be the reason for continuing to offer a lower storage phone.
0: Yeah, I I actually have used some of those features recently. Um, I prefer just to have all the full resolution photos and videos saved on my phone. But um, when I switched to the iPhone SE after it launched to review it, and just because I prefer the size, the maximum capacity they offer is 64 gigs. And prior to that, I was using an iPhone Success with 128 gigs. And um, so I had to delete all the videos on my phone. I backed them up um, uh, to actually Dropbox um, uh, and use the uh, i tried using the low resolution mode um photo thing that they offer uh, where you can optimize iphone storage they also offer that on your mac as well it's a way to use icloud uh, backup of your photos to kind of save some storage locally but um storage on your phone has continued to be an issue uh, i mean the number of people who can't install an ios update because they don't have the number they don't have enough free space on their wait phone. wait but that problem's been solved hasn't it no, not necessarily. They've done some smaller update sizes, and um, I believe starting with iOS 9 and even with iOS 10, the OS ins- itself has become smaller. Uh, and I know they've done that with macOS Sierra too, but um, that's still kind of a problem. And then obviously people running out of iCloud storage itself, I don't know how many people come to me and tell me, it says I'm out of iCloud storage, what do I do? Because they only get five gigs to back up, and you know, their backup is larger than that.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm one of those that pays more for the uh, additional storage of iCloud.
0: I do as well, but a lot of people don't want to.
1: I've just started buying it for my my friends and family kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I pay, I, uh, I think it's a dollar a month, and I get 200 gigabytes or whatever precisely. it is. Precisely. The the reason that
1: I bring this up is that the purported iPhone 7 is going to have the base model be 32 gigs instead of the original 16 gig that's been in the lineup for years.
0: Yeah, this is going to make a lot of people very happy. There's been an outcry that the 16 gig model is too small, and I mean, it's been very clearly – a uh upsell strategy for apple ever since they got rid of the 32 gig model so right now in the lineup there's a 16 gig model and then there's a 64 gig model for hundred dollars more which is kind of a big jump it's huge i mean you get four times the storage for hundred bucks more so um that people have seen that as kind of cheap on apple's part and a cheap upsell strategy honestly, it's never really bothered me that much. I mean, at the end of the day, Apple's a business and they're in the business of making well, money. So if they want to do an upsell strategy, that's their prerogative. I, and, you know
1: it's it's for me, it feels like the sixty four gig is the phone they intend for people to buy, and the sixteen gig is there if you really need the the heavily discounted phone.
0: It's like the fact that the MacBook Air still sticks around. they they want to hit a price point. That's why they do it. yeah. But you know, the argument is that now that flash memory has become so cheap, Apple should be offering more standard storage. You know, this is one of those like fake outrage things I think like when you most have, of people complaining uh, about yeah. this don't even own the thirty two gig model, so I don't really understand the complains. no, no, but when you have well, my wife's phone is a thirty two gig, I believe. but when you have when you have
1: cameras that can take this many pictures and with of, of this resolution, you're using that storage, right? If you look at people's sixteen gig phones, and they're full. What are they full of? Photos. Almost entirely photos. Right. Right? So it makes sense to offer something that accommodates that.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, um, I can't disagree with you, but if you, I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, oh, you're using our product a lot. Well, maybe you should pay for a better model. You know, that's like saying, well, my Mac is so slow because I bought the entry level model and I do a lot of video processing. It's like, well, then buy the faster model. I don't know. I don't think Apple you know, is like a bad guy for selling a 16-gig model of a phone. I think that's a weird argument to make. Having said that, the rumor is that the iPhone 7 is going to come with a base storage of 32 gigs. What will be interesting to see is – flip side they, of that, right? Do is, they, what's that? The, just the
1: flip side of that is, is do they offer the 256 gig at the top end?
0: Right. That's what I'm wondering. Do they do like they have now and skip a tier for an upsell? So it will be 32, 128, 256. Do they keep the 64-gig model and do 32, 64, 128, and then maybe another 256 model? Um, It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in terms of what they do with the lineup. But it's worth noting that um, if they do release a 256-gig iPhone, that would be the first uh, pocketable Apple device to exceed the 160-gig spinning hard drive of the iPod Classic. Uh, up until now, nothing has offered as much capacity as that legacy device.
1: So if they offer a 256 gig phone, you buying?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> and not just because it's your job, but because that's the model you'd want.
0: Yeah, I'd want to have the storage. I'm I'm not really into the bigger screen and would rather stick with my iPhone SE, but I'm going to have to buy it for work and to use it for testing and reviews and that sort of stuff anyhow. Um, that's I, just I cry kind of the nature. You
1: that that's your job. <laughs> I'm so sad that you have to have the good phone.
0: So, uh, I mean, I'll, if they offer a 256 gig iPhone 7, that's the one that I'm going to get. I think for most people, um, 64 gigabytes would be fine. Uh, I can't imagine. Uh,
1: and and we, we should clarify it's gigabytes, not
0: gigabits. Yeah.
1: Did I say Factor gigabit? Of, yeah, you did. Factor right. of eight difference.
0: Right. Well, six. The 64 gigabyte phone should be enough for for most people, I believe. So, we we
1: ran an editorial by uh, by our own Daniel Aaron Dilger, saying that there's something new about Apple's upcoming iPhone Seven, and he he covers a lot here. This is this is not a small editorial. Um, but he's he's making a lot of different comparisons between Android and apple and and the the relationship of growth between the two of them. And um, he's he's really attacking this argument that Apple doesn't innovate. did Did you read this editorial? Yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a monster of an editorial <laughs>
0: uh, that that is how Dan does things. I mean, there's a, he's basically tackling a lot of media and public. Commentary based on rumors of the iPhone Seven, uh, dismissing the uh, uh, the phone as being a minor upgrade, not really worth it, even though it hasn't been announced yet. Um, you know, and and he even talks about you know media saying, you know, you shouldn't buy an iPhone 6S now because the Seven is coming out, uh, even though you know the some of the Samsung phones are getting longer in the tooth, and the same media outlets that say yeah, buy the Samsung phone, it's great um i think that uh you know dan in this editorial is just taking issue Uh, i don't want to speak for him obviously but he's taking issue for some of the media portrayal of apple's products and uh how next year's model is always going to be better and they're constantly playing this game of moving the goalposts
1: yeah you know it's it's um he says counterintuitively any growth in android sales is also good news for apple um because he doesn't think android competes directly with apple at all anyway based on on what the iphone is uh that only a fraction of android sales are premium flagship phones that could be expected to compete with the iphone and samsung only sells about a tenth of its volume from the premium models so anything that that really raises android sales is good for apple too he feels like and he's then he then he goes on to talk about what is new in the iphone 7 and why the argument that apple doesn't innovate is nonsense
0: i i think that you know i with part of this that i agree with dan uh the most on really is uh this (laughs) dismissal of the iphone 7 before it's been announced i mean Say what you will about eliminating the headphone jack or having the same external design as the previous generation model, which is really what all the complaints are about. This product hasn't even been announced yet. We don't know what it's going to be. You know, you and I have talked about this many times. If they get rid of the headphone jack and they ship it with lightning headphones, is there going to be a female lightning port on the new MacBook Pro to allow it to... Connect, or are you going to need to have an adapter for your Lightning headphones to connect to your Mac? Um, You know, what's the audio quality going to be like? What hidden features might they have in, for example, software uh, in the iPhone 7 that we may not know? The camera, we just don't know. And you. You know, it's basically the, the complaint is they're getting rid of the headphone jack and it's going to look the same, which is what all the rumors are pointing to. But we there's so much more about the phone that we really don't know. We don't know how, how Apple is going to pitch it. We don't know what they've changed. We don't know what could be new and what could be different. And one of the points he makes, too, is like Apple is currently cannot keep up with demand for the iPhone SE, even though it's the same design that's been around a phone Essentially, since well, definitely since the iPhone 5, but really, even that was just kind of a tweaking iterative into, on the 4. Yeah, it was you know, take the iPhone 4 glass back, give it a metal back. Other than that, it was pretty Stretch much the little. same idea. So, you know, his point is that consumers aren't really that worried about a new look on the phone. I think that consumers are to some extent worried about a new look on the phone, which is why. The S upgrade cycles don't show as much growth as the full form factor upgrade cycles. So I, I think there is a little bit of truth in that, but... Um you know, as we talked about before with growth on Wall Street and all the focus on that that everybody has, and you know, Apple, the iPhone didn't grow. I mean, they're still making money hand over fist and they still are widely successful. The iPhone's not going anywhere. Uh, it's still, you know, the best selling smartphone model on the market of all the models out there. Uh, this doom and gloom that gets thrown around is just absolutely crazy. I think the iPhone seven is going to be a huge success for Apple, just like every iPhone before it has been a huge success for Apple. And I think that, uh, uh, until we see what changes they have in store and what they've done, uh, to dismiss this phone or suggest that people should wait for next year or something that is a really, really stupid thing to say.
1: Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things that they can do that we talk about as the rumors that, that as you say we don't know, but we certainly have suspicions, ideas, and and there's rumblings, right? You know, they they purchased a bunch of different camera and computer vision companies. They purchased PrimeSense, Linx, Mateo, Emotion, Faceshift, Perceptio, right? They they there's something gonna happen with the camera.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the rumors are that maybe the larger five point five inch plus model will get this dual camera design and The smaller seven is going to get the single camera design, but it'll be a bigger lens. We don't really know. And, you know, let's say that it looks pretty much the same thinner, but uh, ditches the headphone jack. Uh, Let's say it gets some more battery life, maybe, or is just Mm -hmm. blazingly faster with the processor. Um, uh, The camera is a big improvement of the iPhone 6S, and the 199 on contract model now has 32 gigs of storage other than 16. That's a huge reason to upgrade for a ton of people that own an iPhone 6 or own an iPhone 5S or earlier. If you own an iPhone 6, you don't have the faster Touch ID sensor already. You don't have 3D touch capabilities. You don't have 4K video recording. So there's all these things that they missed out on the 6S cycle, which clearly they're not going to get rid of with the next cycle. So saying that this isn't an upgrade reason for a lot of people is is being dismissive of what changes Apple – likely has in store based on what we know and then there's the question of what they have up their sleeve that we don't yet know mm-hmm.
1: so it is well one of the things that that we've heard talked about and you and i've talked about a lot we mentioned it already is the the headphone jack and we have cad renderings that that if authentic also show that there's very likely no headphone jack
0: yeah i this is one of those things that I have my thoughts on how it will play out, but I really – nobody really knows, not even Apple, until they release this thing. Yeah. One
1: of the things that I want to mention is is that removing the headphone jack is not necessarily the apocalypse that some are making it out to be. No. That, that first of all, this is something that is not just an Apple idea. Right? There are Android phones that have already shipped without the headphone jack, uh, both historically way back when in 2007-2008 timeframe, 2009 timeframe, but also recently. And, and there's a reason. You can deliver a better quality audio experience through an outboard DAC that's in the headphones, that's tuned for those headphones. You can do interesting things when you you fine-tune the experience and use a digital port. And so there are there are USB-C headphones out there, for example. So going with the Lightning headphones is is not wrong on its face, as some would make it out to be.
0: How often do you use wired headphones with your phone?
1: Um, honestly, rarely. I, I do it when I'm on a conference call. Mm-hmm. Because the headphones block out outside noise and I can hear the other people on the call more clearly and a conference call is one of those situations where you can hardly hear anyone anyway because they're all sitting around a table with a bad mic. Right. Right. So I want to do that as best I can and I'll put on the headphones for that. Um, Honestly, for me, that's kind of it.
0: Yeah, I own a lot of headphones, and I have a wired uh, pair of Master and Dynamic that I use primarily with my Mac. I don't really use it with my iPhone unless uh, maybe if I was like going on a long car ride or something like that. I might just because I don't want to worry about charging and battery life, and it's just really not necessary. It's one more thing for me to charge. But my Master and Dynamic headphones I'm using right now for this podcast, and I plug them in my Mac regularly – because I don't want to, again, fiddle around with charging and connecting and syncing with my Mac when I'm just sitting here at the computer. But for most other reasons, when I'm using my uh, phone for music, 99% of my headphone usage on my phone is wireless. I have Bluetooth headphones for working out. Um, I have uh, very small uh, Bluetooth headphones that I'll use like if I'm on the train or something and I want something that's pocketable that I can just stow away very quickly that won't get tangled up like Apple's ear pods will. Um, I have Bluetooth wireless cance- uh, noise-canceling headphones for um, uh, when I'm on a train or I'm on a airplane or something like that. Um, and my use case for, for wired headphones on my phone has become pretty limited. You
1: listen to music more on your phone than I do. I, uh, I have a pair of Audio-Technica and a pair of Etymotic headphones that I use for plane travel. Mm-hmm. I have some over-the-ear electrostats that I use for, uh, for the podcast mm-hmm. and for those conference calls. And for anything else I'm doing, I would just prefer to use the Apple TV as my music source through big speakers.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, when I'm at home, I have AirPlay speakers and stuff like that. I have, uh, I have two pairs of wired headphones, I have my Master Dynamics that I mentioned, and then I have these really cheap Sonys that are clip on over ear kind of clip on the oh, ear yeah. kind of. I remember those. And the, I got them for like 10 bucks, but I love them for how portable they are for wired headphones that aren't earbuds, because I really am not a big fan of earbuds. So my um, – like I'm just – if I'm just you going just around – You just haven't town.
1: found the right earbuds yet.
0: Well, if I'm just going around town uh, and I want to have por- very portable earbuds that are wireless, I have the Jabra Rocks. Mm. Uh, and one of the features that I really like about them is they have a magnetic attachment where each side of the earbuds attaches to each other. And not only does that have a, a practical benefit in allowing you to keep it around your it's, neck it's or whatever. functional.
1: It powers off when exactly. they're magnetized. It yeah. puts it in – I've, seen that, I've now, seen that a lot. I've seen that a lot
0: having said that these things fall out of my ears when I'm just standing around um, do
1: they have the little wing tips that are on there besides the earbud pieces they do
0: they're optional and they didn't work for me so ah. couldn't get those to work now I do have any so my, my favorite around.
1: hack my favorite hack for making earbuds fit is to buy some of the the earbuds earbuds mm-hmm. which are now owned by JBL originally they were their own company and to use their earbud covers and put them on other earbuds. <laughs> and that works well. That
0: in and of itself tells you how terrible modern earbuds are.
1: The other thing that I I have is – so at, at CES, there was a company called Earballs. Mm-hmm. And Earballs took a, a thermo-activated polymer and – they heated up these these this thermal compound in hot water bath and put it in your ear for a few minutes and then it took the shape of your ear mm-hmm. and then they popped the the dummy plug out of it and put in their headphone instead and those are really cool and i don't have a, a proper set i still have the molds for it though and so i need to get a set of the earbuds and use the ones that are form fitted for my ears and i would totally recommend people look at that too cuz that's not that, cheap uh, it was surprisingly cheap. It was really? not the traditional $200, $300, $400 nonsense that we're used to seeing for this kind of stuff. I had a set of $200 ones years ago where I went to an audiologist and had molds made and then shipped the the molds off to them to make it kind of thing. You would. This was on this you, – hey, you're the guy that buys every iPhone. <laughs> for work, he says. For work. These headphones were for work. So – um I, uh, I, the the earballs ones, I'm going to take a look and see just what their pricing is, but it was, it was a lot more affordable than, so decibels, I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's De- DECIBULLZ was their, uh, their brand at CES. And they are 119 for custom molded earphones. Mm-hmm.
0: That's not too bad. Uh,
1: people buy Bose and Sure headphones for one nineteen.
0: Yeah, my uh, uh, headphones that I recommend a lot to people are the Plantronics Backbeat Fit um, mm-hmm. that I use for exercise. They're in ear, but they're oh, not. Oh, you really like these? Good. These are
1: also Bluetooth, by the way.
0: They're not. Um, they're they're not like uh, uh they're not earbuds that just hang in your ear. They have a clip that goes around the ear, but it's mm. also a rubberized, waterproof material that's very light and it wraps around the back of your head and you don't really notice it or feel it. It sounds great. It's durable. Um, I've used these, I've recommended them to many people who use them as well. Um, some of the listeners have asked me before what my go-to headphones are for working out and I've recommended them. Uh, I've tried a lot of headphones for working out because they all tend to fall out of my ears and I think these are the best that I've found for me at least.
1: Well, so we got off on a headphone discussion here, but,
0: um... Well, that's the ultimate discussion when it comes to the iPhone 7, right?
1: Kind of the topic, so it is. The... i'm I'm looking strongly at getting these these decibels thing, because the, the the point is with headphones, so there there's some difference in the quality of materials in the armature and the the way that the headphone is inside of the little capsule that goes in your ear. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that makes the biggest difference is the fit and and sound isolation. If you have a good seal on the earbud in your ear, you will get good bass response and good treble response. And it's it's about blocking out that outside noise and getting a good seal, primarily.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, yes, the other parts all make a difference. You have to use – you know, you can't use bad drivers. But getting that seal makes the biggest difference. Right. And, and that's true of any of the earbuds. So if you say they're falling out of your ears, well, then they're also not going to
0: sound that great. That's true of my high-end uh, earplugs that I use as well. Mm-hmm. You have to get a good, uh, you have to get a good seal in there. But I have, I have ones that have a a, a swappable um, piece that allows sound actually to come in. So it's not like a traditional, uh, right, where it just blocks out the sound, so you can actually hear it just at a lower volume.
1: I have some edamotic earplugs like that for going to concerts. Yep. the the best The best seal that I ever got with ear earpods earbuds, and this will you'll think I'm nuts. I, I, <laughs> I was testing. Do. Thank you. I was testing a waterproof iPod a couple of years ago.
0: Right, I remember, remember that? that review. Yeah,
1: yeah. And how do you use earbuds underwater?
0: Electrocute yourself.
1: No. Well, first of all, they're not high voltage. But what you do is, is they, they sold with that iPod, they sold some earbuds where the tips were shaped like the uh, the, the three-finned um, plug that you use for swing earplugs. Mm-hmm. But in order to make them really work, you took a little bit of Vaseline and you put the Vaseline around it so that it truly sealed in your ear.
0: Sounds like a lot of work.
1: If you're going for the laps and you're listening to the audiobooks or music as you go for the laps, that was the way to do it. I guess. And it totally worked. It was very cool. Okay. So I take it you're not concerned about the idea of losing the headphone jack.
0: I think it's a dumb idea to do it the way that they're apparently going to do it. If the rumors bear out, as I've said before, I think they should have shipped Uh, at least a year of uh, lightning ear pods, getting people used to the idea of using the lightning port for headphones. And they should have done more to flood the market with lightning headphones, including, by the way, through their own Beats brand that they own, which still does not ship any lightning headphones. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. So I think that their approach has been kind of misguided. They could have telegraphed it in a not so subtle way and said, Hey, get used to using Lightning headphones, and then a year after that, brought some light, uh, ditched the headphone jack and said, here, we can fit a larger battery in there or whatever they're going to do, right? Um, I think that the way that they are going to do it, which is just, hey, there are no headphones on the market that use Lightning aside from you know these few options, including the ones that Mikey reviewed on Sunday. I was just getting to that. I, th- I think that that's a mistake.
1: Well, I mean, we know that there's the the Philips and the Audis, the ones that Mikey reviewed, and a couple handful others, maybe. But, uh, so Mikey reviewed the Audis, right? He reviewed the Sign model, mm-hmm. which is an on ear planar magnetic, um, uh, headphone. And, and planar magnetic here means that the ear cups stop, sit atop on the fleshy part of the outer ear. Yeah. And are, are in that kind of a plane. They have a closed back, prevent sound leakage. And, um, They've got large 80-millimeter drivers in them, which is, is pretty darn huge and reproduces a good sound, uh, or at least is capable of reproducing a good sound. Now, Mikey's review says that overall, the sign is a rock-solid headphone built from quality materials, and he used it for about 50 hours of listening. Um, it's got a lightning connector. It's also got a vanilla audio plug, so you can use it with plain old headphones.
0: We should know that the lightning connector is a $50 upsell.
1: So, yeah, it's it's
0: $49 for the traditional headphone jack, $499 for the Lightning version, which again points out some of the issues that Apple's going to run into because Lightning licensing is going to jack up the prices on headphones. So, for people that like to get $20, $30 headphones, including Apple's own ear pods, by the way, uh, well, that's going to be a problem. Five hundred dollars headphones
1: is one thing, but this is not the only Lightning solution out there. I, I want to point out the Philips Fidelio headphones. How much um, do they cost?
0: Two hundred bucks. And how much do you think the average person who's at the gym, sweating through their headphones on their Apple Earpods that ship with the phone, is willing to spend on headphones?
1: Uh, I think they're willing to spend about thirty bucks on headphones.
0: Right, and so let's say that they have a favorite set of headphones that are not the earpods that ship in the in the box. Which I should point out, the fact that most people are just using the earpods that ship in the box solves that problem for most people right out of the gate. But if you don't want to use those, how much is an adapter going to cost, or how much are a new pair of headphones going to cost? My Do you guess. Play some bets on the adapter. I would guess. That the, I'm betting seventy bucks. I would guess that the adapter is more than fifty dollars. I'm 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 pinning it down at 70 I think a $70 adapter to use your legacy headphones is robbery. I think that's I, I absolutely criminal. I think that is one of the stupidest things that could be done. I think that that is only going to add to the outrage that people are going to feel when they find out that the headphone jack is not on the new iPhone. And I think it's going to be a PR nightmare for Apple. They're, that's what I they're
1: think letting us do their dirty work for them, right, by telling people it's, not, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming.
0: I, I still think that when it happens, people are going to be angry. They're going to be shocked, and I think that uh, it's going to be a disaster for them. Well, I mean, let's not forget one of the first Android headphones shipped without a headphone jack—the uh, G1, the very first mm-hmm. one. Right? Mm-hmm. You had to use a. HTC? You had to use a micro USB to a- headphone HTC adapter.
1: Hero used a mini USB. It wasn't micro at that time. It was mini.
0: Right, <laughs> and uh, uh, th- I mean that did not go over well. <laughs> People didn't like that. They thought it was insane.
1: Right, right. But there are phones now that use USB-C for the headphones.
0: And they're probably not selling many. Well,
1: they're not Samsung.
0: I can't imagine this ending well with the way that Apple has done it. I think that if the rumors prove true, the end result is going to be a PR disaster apple is going to have to do something to lower the cost of the adapters and quickly with the backlash that's going to come out if if our and now let's be clear none of this is announced we don't know for sure and the
1: so-called purported rumored device we're
0: even guessing on the price of the adapter however yes we are if the adapter costs 50 or 70 dollars as you and i are guessed and let's face it we're probably going to end up being right I think that the backlash is going to be insane. I think that it's going to be mainstream media news coverage, the butt of jokes on Late Night with Colbert. You know, I think it's going to be everywhere. I think it's going to be a public relations nightmare for Apple.
1: Mm, we will see. I want to point out, summing up Mikey's review, that Mikey liked these headphones very much. He gave them a four-and-a-half star out of five rating,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is is not something that we hand out lightly. Right. Right. And so he, he liked them a lot. And I have not heard them yet, although I, I hope to. What I do know is reading the reviews of people who've used both the Sign and the, the other Audi's model, the EL8, that the EL8s are even better. So, so if you have large amounts of disposable income and want to look at headphones, you can certainly consider the, the Audi's either the Sign or the EL8 model and know that they're well-reviewed. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. One of our sponsors this week is Harry's. Now, Harry's provides shaving products, and you know, I I know that Neil, you have a a luxurious and and well tended beard, and uh, and don't shave at all, but um, but I do, <laughs> and and Harry's sent me one of their kits, and I've used it. And honestly, it's, it's quite good. You know, first of all, the, the razor feels nice in the hand as opposed to the, the three-part pieces of plastic that you get. And the, um, it, it just doesn't feel like it's, it's, it's certainly more affordable than the stuff you get in the stores from the big brands, but it feels better made at the same time. And the kit that I got shipped with a nice little um, aluminum stand to hold the razor. So now there's a place for it as opposed to just tossing it somewhere in the, the bathroom. Um, you, you get a low-price, high-quality razor with no middleman. It ships to you for half the price of the leading brand. So it's really simple. It's It's – amazing quality it's low prices and it's a good shave and you get the five blade german crafted blades which i think is their own factory so it's not made somewhere else by sub subcontracted factory it's got a flex hinge it's got a lubricating strip it's guaranteed you get a full refund if you're not happy and I, i've shaved with it and it's just delightful it really is and they have a nice moisturizing cream and i, I can't say enough good things um So the starter set is called Truman. It's a great option for new customers and an amazing deal. And for just $15, you get the handle, you get the cream, you get three blades, uh, three of the five-blade cartridges. And here's the special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code INSIDER. So if you go to harrys.com right now and you look for the Truman set, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, you enter the code INSIDER at checkout, and they'll give you $5 off and help support the show. You don't have to compromise. Give Harry's a try today. All right, Neil. Thank you for that. Of course. One of the things that we should talk about is macOS malware. We don't talk a lot about malware, primarily because there isn't a whole lot that we're actually vulnerable to as Mac users. Right. There have been attempts over history. There have been vulnerabilities found in the wild. but, But... the actual problems tend to be very small compared to our Windows, Windows counterparts. Right. But a new piece of Mac targeting malware was found in the wild, and it had the potential to allow people to remotely execute code and control the FaceTime camera on a user's computer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that is big news, and and this this was called Easy Doc Converter, and it installed a large amount of malware on the computers on, on a victim's computer, and it's terrible. But why is why why was this not the huge terrible world ending thing that it could have been?
0: Because if you have uh, the uh, defender software, what's it called? Uh, gatekeeper, gatekeeper, gatekeeper is Apple's gatekeeper. If you have that uh, enabled by uh, as it is by default on your Mac, then it prevents the install of this, so it's protected. You would have to to install unauthorized software on your Mac. You would have to uh, uh, bypass repeated warnings to get it installed. Um, And then at that point, you would have malware installed on your Mac, which is kind of like, you know, if you jump into a pile of broken glass, yes, you're going to get cut. I mean, I, I don't really know what else apple could do at that point i mean if you ex if you choose to execute bad code on your computer there's nothing apple can do to f- stop that from happening
1: well ultimately you are the owner and system administrator of your computer yeah so here, here's the the details in system preferences if you click on the apple in the upper left corner of the screen and click on system preferences then there will be a security and privacy option usually in the top row of system preferences and within that, in the general, the bottom half of the, the, the page there shows you allow apps downloaded from. The options are Mac App Store, Mac App Store and identified developers, or anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the default is that center option, Mac Store and identified developers. Right? Right. And, and what identified developers means is that they've signed their code in a way that Apple recognizes that this is a legitimate developer and is, is known.
0: And that right. is the setting that I have enabled on my computer. Um, if you wanted more security, just allow stuff from the Mac App Store. That might be kind of limiting for some people, but it is an option. Um, but what what happens for me is with um, that security enabled, uh, if I try to install something that is from not a registered developer, an identified developer, then basically my Mac won't let me do it. So I have to uh, do a right-click and then open and then say yes and then enter a password kind of thing to make it go. But that is just kind of one of those things where I allow that level of security to exist because then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I know who this developer is. I know I'm downloading from a reputable website. I am going to bypass the security by choice.
1: Now, I want to bring up, do you remember the Mac versus PC ads that had John Hodgman and Justin Long a few years ago? Yeah. One of the the ads was focused around this idea of Windows 7 asking for your password all the time. Right. You remember that one? Mm-hmm. And And this behavior on the Mac kind of feels like that a little bit in that it asks for your password. But here it's solely focused around launching this unidentified application and making sure that you're intentionally doing it and that you know what you're doing and that you've entered your password to authorize doing it.
0: Well, Apple would love nothing more than to have a world where you only get software from the Mac App Store and there are no other options like it is on the iPhone, essentially. But you can see the benefits of that. If I give my parents a Windows PC or even a Mac to an extent and tell them to go hog wild with it, they could really screw things up. You give them an iPhone or an iPad, you can't really screw anything up. I mean, there's only so much you can do within the limited sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just having the only options available to download from an authorized App Store, where everything is tightly controlled, you can see the benefits of it. iOS is, you know, the second biggest platform on the planet behind Android, and it is arguably, uh, if not backed up by, uh, you know, evidence from real world use, the most secure platform on the planet.
1: Now, one of the the questions that we should answer is is why is it the option to allow identified developers and software from anywhere? Why why is the sandbox for Mac App Store not good enough?
0: Because the terms of the – there's a lot of legacy on a traditional computing platform. So for example, if you're a developer who's been making Mac apps, to now conform to Apple's policies and to give them a 30% cut of your software is not ideal. Whereas on the iPhone, the App Store has always been the only way to install third-party apps other than jailbreaking or whatever. So therefore, there hasn't been anything existed. But I mean with the Mac, you have 30 years of legacy developers who have written code for it who – don't really like the way that there's an approval process that kind of hangs it up and that they have to pay Apple a 30% cut. There's all kinds of issues with the Mac App Store that make the sandbox not as ideal on the Mac as they do on the iPhone. There's also the fact that your Mac, you do more computing intensive tasks on your Mac. You do more, a wider variety of tasks than you do on an iPhone or iPad. The capabilities are greater. It's a, a more powerful computing device. So uh, it tends to be a power user kind of thing. Uh, we're talking about two different markets. You're looking at an iPhone. They're, they're, they're selling it, – It's not
1: just the 30%. It's, it's that the sandbox actively, the way it's constructed, prevents some developers from being able to do the things that they, they need to do to deliver an app that has the features they promise.
0: Right, exactly.
1: So there are reasons for this. and And not every piece of software is available on the Mac App Store because of that. So there there are legitimate reasons and legitimate pieces of software that are not in the Mac App Store and that require you to give this permission, um, but you need to know what you're getting into and why, and why the developers made that decision. And many developers write blog posts about this.
0: And take into account the type of user that you're appealing to. Apple's selling 5 million Macs at Macs a quarter. They're selling 70 million iPhones a quarter. The iPhone is a mass market device where having those levels of security and control make more sense, whereas you're more likely to be a power user if you're buying a Mac. Definitely. Well,
1: the last thing that I want to talk about is an article that we just published this morning about how to skip the airport's U.S. customs line with your iPhone. Now, Neil, you actually brought this to my attention. You asked me if I'd ever heard of it, and the truth is that I had not. But I am going to try it out
0: yeah, you travel internationally more than I do. I'm more of a once-a-year kind of guy going international. Um, you you tend to travel abroad a little bit more than me. Um, so I, I was curious to hear about your experiences with this. But uh, it's been around for a couple of years actually, um, and my wife had read a story about it um, somewhere else. Um, it just hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, I guess, and I wasn't familiar with it. So I figured I'd run it by you since you – Travel internationally more, and you weren't familiar with it either. So, uh, our, our um, Mike, one of our writers, um, did a little tip, a little feature, which you can get in the um, uh, show notes for this. We're just explaining this mobile passport app, which basically expedites the process of going through customs when you're re entering the country. So, if you're coming back to the United States, you need to have uh, your passport on you, and you need to fill out a sheet with a bunch of questions that they ask you about. If you're bringing back any you know, plants or, or food. It, It's the
1: typical reentry form.
0: Right. So there's a bunch of questions that you have to answer every time you're reentering the country. It's just kind of a standard thing. Um, what this app does is it expedites the price process by having you scan in ahead of time your passport information, personal information. And then while you're on the flight, you can answer the questionnaire and then save it. And then when you get to the back to the United States and you get into the airport, you can connect to data, and it will give you a receipt saying that you filled out the form, and it gives you a four-hour window to go through customs. And now at participating airports, of which there are about, I guess, you know, 15 or, 10 or so, 15. Yeah. Yeah, um, they now have a dedicated line for you to go through, show them a QR code on your phone showing that you've completed it. And you can now get through the customs process much quicker. So-, so
1: this is this is why I'm saying that I wasn't aware of it. As When I was reading the reviews of this, there were people who tried to use it and the signs for the mobile passport line were not marked. They had to ask people where to go. Mm-hmm. And when, when Mike called a, a, a U.S. customs official at Orlando Airport, um, they said the line for mobile passport users had no line at all Thursday morning and that the longest they'd ever seen it was five people at at peak. So no one knows about this.
0: And the the, the important thing is the wait time for the traditional customs line, the same time Thursday morning, 84-minute wait time estimated. (laughs) I mean, you know, this is one of those things.
1: First of all, we're ruining it for everyone by telling people about it. So now that line will be more full.
0: (laughs) You know what? Uh, you are always going to run into people that don't know what they're doing, so I wouldn't worry about it. I can't imagine this catching on that much. There are still people that don't realize you need to take off their shoes when they're going through security checkpoint, So
1: Pre-check and global entry, my man. I don't take off
0: my shoes. Well, you're a VIP. <laughs> I, I don't have those set up. <sighs> But I mean, it's a no brainer. I mean, if you look at this and this, I mean, obviously this is just one example, but Orlando International Airport is one of the busiest airports in the entire United States, um, especially with people coming in from overseas to go to Disney and stuff like that. Uh, An 84 minute time for reentering the country versus no wait time. Uh, Yeah, Uh, that's that's a no brainer. So the the app is called Mobile Passport. It's from Airside Mobile. Uh, It's available to U.S. and Canadian citizens with B1 or B2 passports. And um, it is the only app that is officially authorized by U.S. Customs and Border Protection.
1: Yeah, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Um, So it works in Atlanta. It works in O'Hare. It works in Dallas-Fort Worth, Denver, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Minneapolis, Newark, JFK, Orlando, San Francisco, San Jose, and uh, SeaTac. It's coming to RDU, Tampa, and Dulles. Now, I'm flying uh, towards the end of this month, and I'll be returning in the beginning of August, and I will test this out. And if I can get two adults and two children through Passport Control using this app in 20 minutes, I will tell you all about it on the Apple Insider podcast. No questions. Can't wait to hear it. That wraps up our episode. Neil, where can people find you on the internet?
0: Um, you can read uh, my stuff at appleinsider.com, and you can find me on Twitter at this is Neil N-E-I-L.
1: I'm Victor Marks, and I am at vmarks on Twitter, and you will occasionally find things that I've written on appleinsider.com. I want to mention some of the deals that we have posted on our site at appleinsider.com. It's important for you to know, if you're a U.S. customer, that post-holiday deals are rolling through right now, and B&H is discounting the 2015 13-inch MacBook Air to $849, which is $350 off. Uh, Or you can snap up a Wi-Fi 128-gig iPad Air 2 in Space Gray for $549, which is an offer exclusive to Apple Insider readers. Also, the current 15-inch MacBook Pro is $399 off on eBay, and the 38-millimeter Apple Watch Sport refurbished is $90 off. All of these deals will be posted in a link in the show notes. And if Neil has a 256-gig iPad and iPod, iPhone, and is complaining all about which headphones he's going to use with it, we'll tell you all about it next time on the Apple Insider Podcast.